everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams, spill the tea. And this week, we are coming at you with two brand new records, two big records. We're going to be talking about the new album from indie folk band Big Thief, their new album, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. It's well done. Well done. You've nailed that. Okay. I was so I did convinced it. you were going to I, I managed were... to remember the title. Um, and we're also going to be talking about the new album, of course, from Beach House. We're talking about Once, Twice Melody. It's a big double album kind of day, fun day, going to have a good time. And of course, joining us today, Big Thief and Beach House fan extraordinaire, we have with us uh, Micah. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am very excited. Well, it's an absolute, it's, it's our pleasure, honestly, because uh, I was thinking to myself a few weeks ago, like, because we've been having guests on for just about every episode this year so far. I was thinking to myself, who would be a good fit for an episode where we talk about Beach House and Big Thief? And you were just like constantly tweeting about both of those bands. And I was like, shit, we have to get Micah on because like... I feel like any discussion would be, especially Big Thief, any discussion would be incomplete without without you here. So, um, oh, and Jake's got his Beach House vinyl as well. So that's that's looking pretty sick. That might be giving the game away a little bit, but yeah. yeah. I do have my Dragon New Warm Mountain vinyl as well. Oh, that's, that's, which I brought out yeah. so that the lyric sheet with me in case I want to like talk about anything specific yeah that's i love it you came you've come prepared well done so yeah so very much the theme of this week's episode is legacy indie x release 80 minute double album and legacy indie act fans cream their jeans for it um that's basically going to be the broad theme so in the last week on the channel we've put out some great videos we did a record club episode on boards of canada's geo gaddy where we discussed one of the most legendary idm records as on its 20th anniversary as well and that was a really great conversation we got really into the weeds with all of the kind of hidden messages and lore of that album and then on thursday i dropped a video that i have been wanting to make for ages which is a discussion of the discography of steely dan where i ranked all nine of their albums uh regardless of whether you're into the band or completely unfamiliar with them i've designed that video to be uh, accessible and friendly for everyone it's one of our shorter videos so check that out if you're interested would mean a lot to us but Without further ado, let's kick into our first segment of the episode, which is the What We've Been Listening To segment. Jake, what have you been listening to? Well, uh, continuing my streak of listening to a bunch of fucking bullshit, I, I guess I'm also continuing a bit of a streak of trying to plow through that fucking Black Sabbath discography because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hell-bent on doing a video about it eventually, and I'm still, unfortunately, in, in the dark era. I'm, 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 still, I'm still struggling a little bit. I, this week, listened to two, actually. I listened to, I jumped forward a little bit and from going them in order and listened to 90, 1994's Dehumanizer, which is an album that uh, Ronnie Dio came back for. And it's generally considered like one of the better albums in the second half. And it was mainly just because I needed to reassure myself that there were better records on the horizon just to keep myself motivated but uh the next proper entry in the discography is uh the eternal idol uh which is not nearly as divisive as the records i've been talking about previously it's uh, get a, a bit of a breather here um it's it's definitely not one of the favorites exactly but um 
honestly, I enjoyed this. I think it's probably the best album they've put out since probably like uh, Mob Rules. It's not anything special, really. In fact, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot more of the same. That said, I think the song construction on this album is a little bit better. If anything, you if you're a Black Sabbath fan, you've got to listen to it for the final track, the title track, Eternal Idol, which is easily the best song they've made in like 10 years at this point. I have nothing fun to articulate about this record just because it's not nearly as overwhelmingly disliked to something like Seven Star. It's not as absolutely disgusting to listen to as something like Born Again. I just have a feeling that a lot of these next couple albums are going to be a little bit more of the same in terms of late 80s, early 90s heavy metal, which I'm fine with at this point. If I all I have to deal with is 30 to 40 minute long albums of Black Sabbath kind of spinning their wheels, so be it. I'll I'll live. That's fine I'm by me. I'm so excited for you to get to uh, Cross Purposes and Forbidden. Like that's gonna uh, be that's gonna be an all timer segment of like of like once great bands falling to unfathomable lows, uh, like career hold, killing lows. I'm trying to hold steady because the only album on Rate Your Music that's below a three so far, I think, other than I think Never Say Die was Seventh Star. And I like that album. So I'm holding steady, not for Forbidden necessarily, because I don't, that's the one with Ice-T on it, I think. Yeah, it is. So I'm, I'm not exactly going into that one with high expectations. Um, that said, I mean, it's good. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe the way to look at it is that at around the same time, uh, Chuck D was on Sonic Youth's Sonic Youth's Goo, and that was a great rap feature on a rock <laughs> record. So maybe Ice T will deliver some heat on uh, Black Sabbath's <laughs> Forbidden. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, conceptually, it sounds kind of cool. Like I don't know. Like maybe it could be fun. <laughs> anyway, in slightly, you know, in slightly better music news, um, I've been listening to. I actually went and listened to. Uh, uh, after our discussion on GeoGaddy, I listened to the Campfire Head Phase, the album after that one. Um, and I love that album. I don't really have an interesting take on it or anything because I still think that GeoGaddy and Music as the Right to Children are better albums. But this is something that gets bizarrely overlooked and really shouldn't. It's a different kind of album. It has a lot of like guitar driven chord progressions on it, but my god it's beautiful like i i really like the whole album honestly but the second half of it just has some of the best songs that that band have come out with so far in my listening to of them so like don't don't overlook that one just because you know it's not one of the hugely heralded releases from the band or anything on a night where i couldn't sleep i listened to that to try to go to sleep and then i listened to my favorite i am awake at 3 a.m and don't know what to do with my life album which is Phil Elverham, Mount Erie's Clear Moon. I think that is my favorite Mount Erie project. It's either, it's that or maybe Lost Wisdom Part 2, which is like, I don't think either of those two albums are anybody's favorite, but it, Phil is too good of a musician for everybody to agree unanimously on anything he's made other than maybe like Glow Part 2. But I love Clear Moon. Clear Moon is so fucking like, that is such a gorgeous, textural, beautifully written, deeply kind of spiritual album experience. Every time I listen to it, I feel like I've 
learn something new about either myself or Phil or music or anything. It's just a gorgeous album. I own it and Ocean Roar on like a double vinyl and they sound incredible uh, on them. But that's a sort of moment in his career that I think is deeply underappreciated, underrated, the sort of like winds poem, ocean roar, clear moon era. It's like a, a super overlooked era, I think, of Mount Airy sound, particularly now. I'm just going to like go out on a limb here. Mount Airy feels like it might be Micah Core. Do you have any like uh, Mount Airy takes or opinions on any of the, on any of these records? I do. Um, in fact, Clear Moon is possibly my favorite Mount Airy record as well. I completely oh, agree with everything you said beautifully haunting and textured and yeah gorgeously textured um mm-hmm. the he always has a track on his albums that are like labeled something or something like that uh, yeah. with like parentheses and those are always just like a weird kind of textural experiment and it's just like mm-hmm. just beautiful very um evocative too i do like a lot of mount eerie stuff i think my overall favorite phil project is still the globe part two but um yeah clear moon um a crow looked at me Lost Wisdom, Dawn as well. Dawn is incredible. Yeah. Um, All those are great. Love, I mean, hey, that's, I think that was also something that like listening to Big Thief might have prompted is that sort of like getting into that little spirit. I, and speaking of which, just because uh, recently I've been listening to a lot of Americana inflicted music, I went and listened to uh, an artist and just an era of uh, country music that I've, needed to explore for a very long time and i elected to get into it with phases and stages by one mr willie nelson which is a pretty short record it's sub 40 minutes but it's one of his more lauded projects because it is a concept album it's pretty much it's just like this is like the original concept breakup album and god damn this shit's good willie nelson i mean classic voice, classic songwriter, pretty much everything on here is immaculately written and performed. It just, it has that really quintessential kind of rootsy sound to it. And it's just, there's something about his music specifically that occasionally sounds like really like bigger and and grander than a lot of stuff out of that era. But also he can really, you know, move into something that's a little bit more stripped back and peeled back that feels like the basically just the the contrasting sort of levels of energy really make you feel like this is a super interesting holistic project and it's not like something that's overwhelmingly sad because it's about like you know the deterioration of relationships there's like a wide spectrum of emotion on here it you know it's a brief listen it's a very well constructed record i highly recommend it for anybody who's looking to like explore that sort of era i 100 and willie in general is just a dude who's cranked out tons of classic records in the past shout out to the fact that the podcast's sort of core favorite metal band uh folk metal slash atmospheric black metal band panopticon i started a subreddit for panopticon the other day because they don't have one and that's bullshit because they should uh as some might know uh last year's and again into the light was our album of the year collectively and i have for whatever reason like i've downloaded everything they've ever made and just haven't listened to the rest of their albums because i'm dumb uh but i listened to roads to the north and 
Shock of All Shocks, a canonically recognized Panopticon album is a fucking masterpiece. It's like probably the best thing I listened to this week that was not immediately rated to podcast listening. But oh, God, Austin just doesn't fucking miss. I can't believe that the, the album run of Autumn Eternal and uh, Roads to the North and the scars of man on the once nameless wilderness exists it's like that 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 man does not know how to make an, a project that's anything less than just the best shit you've ever heard i i'm toying with the idea of making a video about them sometime in the future just because they need more exposure but surprise surprise it's great other than that i listened to well i, I just i guess this is sort of inevitable is that we 2022 takes another uh, musical legend in the form of Mark Langren. So I listened to one of the Queens of the Stone Age albums that he appears on, Lullabies to Paralyze, which is, in my opinion, their most underrated album. I love that thing. I, I Part of me like kind of gets why other people don't, but at the same time, I listen to the, like the A side of that record, and I'm just like, nah, this is just heat. Fuck everybody. But I also listened to... An album that I was really shocked to learn is a covers album, which is called I'll Take Care of You, which is a solo record of his, which is weird because it doesn't feel like a covers album at all. It's so cohesive, both thematically and sonically, but he adds a lot of personality to each of them. And Mark had this just wonderful, like really sort of like rustic kind of voice to him that just makes anything he's saying unbelievably enrapturing. Um, I have, I'm not familiar with like his most prominent stuff with like Screaming Trees, but I know I need to just because that kind of music is shit that I bang for already. So obviously very much looking forward to getting into that. I will build on what you're saying about Mark Lanigan, who, yeah, his loss this week was fucking awful, fucking brutal, uh, way too young as well. I know that Lanigan was one of the grunge guys who very much lived fast and, you know, didn't really like you know it was a devil may care in a lot of ways and but still it doesn't make it any easier to process his loss especially considering that i mean now of not even not only of like the grunge figureheads but like even the the wider world of like the top tier grunge bands like eddie vetter is like the only front man left god and, bless that's sad and that's you know that's 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 tough um, yeah, as great as he is, it's tough to have lost so many others. But so I revisited um, two Screaming Trees records this week, um, the two kind of most renowned ones, uh, Dust, of course, but the one I want to highlight, my favorite Screaming Trees record, which is Sweet Oblivion, which turns 30 later this year, and we will be doing a video on it around the time that it turns 30 as well, because I think that is one of the best ways we can pay tribute to Mark. But this is not only um, one of, not only my favorite record that I've heard from Mark or from anything that he's been involved in. Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. Even Queens of the Stone Age, actually. This is still my favorite thing Mark's done. Uh, not only that, but I also consider, I also think that it is one of the best grunge records. And I have to put my hands up and say, before this week, I had only heard Dust. And so when we were talking about, you know, when we were doing our 1991 retrospective last year, and we were talking about all these landmark grunge records that were coming out at that time, I had no idea about Sweet Oblivion, or at least I had no idea how much I would love that record. But listening to it this week, it just absolutely connected with me. And 
uh, honestly, it was difficult not to cry while listening to it, um, particularly some of the songs like No One Knows and my, and of course the legendary Nearly Lost You, which is one of the most well-known Screaming Tree songs. Uh, it's Open a great Mike eagle tweeted that song and i listened to it and was like i'm, I'm gonna need i'm gonna need a while to be able to build this because this is a lot it is a great great grunge record it has some beautiful deep cut highlights as well like for celebrations past and troubled times that seem to get very little love but i put them on and they just blew me away the best way i can describe uh the appeal of this record is it's like it's like alice in chains if they kind of embraced a more psychedelic aspect to their sound and sort of lent into that it's very much i think alice and chains are the kind of grunge top tier grunge band that screaming trees bear the most resemblance to and i mean i mean we're big fans of alice and chains they're certainly i think deserve a little bit more love than they get relative to some of their grunge peers but yeah this is just an essential listen i i can't recommend it highly enough and dust as well because most people love dust more than this so um uh, and i think they're both you know right up there i just narrowly prefer sweet oblivion but um but yeah so that's that um rest in peace to mark um and i'm going to be listening to more and more of his solo music over the coming weeks too on a lighter note, I want to shout out a record that was recommended to me by a mutual friend of Jake and myself, Spencer, a album that is, so this is a Japanese album that is apparently under the genre city pop, which I wasn't super familiar with, but it's kind of like a, a disco-y, funky sort of uh, Eastern pop music that was quite big in the late 70s, early 80s. And so the artist is called Tatsuro Yamashita and the album is called Ride on Time. And Tatsuro Yamashita apparently is one of the most highly regarded artists of his time. And this is this album itself is, it's very clear when you listen to this why that is. This is an absolutely infectiously fun record. Uh, Yamashita's guitar playing is ecstatic and astounding the grooves and the rhythm section are so tight and so fulsome that you're so locked in there's a sense of sheer joy to this album that's so so infectious the elements of funk that are so deeply infused into this are so like catchy and addictive and awe-inspiring and awesome and so yeah I, this was a really really fun record that I was I had no idea about this artist and so I'm grateful for the recommendation because this is just super super fun and so I, I highly recommend it okay so I'll, I'll finish off by shouting out a couple of brand new albums that have just come out in the last couple of weeks that I have had recommended to me the first is an album from math rock slash indie rock band Jocho and the album is called Let's Promise to be Happy. And the band is, so Giocho are a relatively new band. Uh, they're a Japanese math rock band. And if you know anything about this podcast, you'll know that we love a bit of Japanese math rock. We recently reviewed the new Trico album, which is also great. Um, and if you enjoy that record, or if the idea of Japanese math rock that's tailored through the lens of indie rock sensibilities appeals to you, you cannot miss this record. It's already leapt into my top 10 of the year so far. It's absolutely ridiculously technically great. Uh, it's only about 25 minutes long, I think. So it's really short, but it just does not waste a moment of that time in creating these 
really infectious grooves. As far as math rock goes, I'd say it's one of the more accessible versions of the genre. So if you're not super into like really, you know, overwhelming clashing rhythms and stuff, then Giocho are a really good entry point. I think there's a flavor of Midwest emo infused into this album as well that gives it a really nice kick too. But more often than not, it's just a ridiculously enjoyable and entertaining ride. And so, yeah, only 25 minutes long. Absolutely check it out. It is so, so good. Uh, and the last thing I will check out is a new album from the an indie rock band that was getting a lot of hype on IndieCast, uh, the Stephen Hyden and Ian Cohen's music podcast, which regular listeners of our podcast will know that I listen to religiously every week. And they were getting quite excited about a new band called String Machine, who are also, I think, Stereo, Gam Stereo Gum's current band to watch on their website. And String Machine are a new indie rock band from Philadelphia, and they're putting out their third album this year, which has the fantastic title of Hallelujah Hell Year. And it is a absolutely raucous 30-minute indie rock record with lots of heart and spirit and lots of really kind of creative musicianship and really exciting playing and great singing and just really kinetic performances it's you can tell that these guys have really gotten used to being a band and they've really kind of gotten in tune with each other as performers and they're playing their heart out on this album it's not like it, it will be I think an acquired taste for some people especially if you're not super into like really angular indie rock but it's not like any of the sort of post-punky stuff that we've been getting over the last couple of years it's much kind of brighter and sunnier than that and yeah it's only 32 minutes long uh, it, for some reason, despite the fact that it seems pretty hyped among kind of indie critical circles, it only has five ratings on Ratu Music as we speak. Although, to be fair, it did just come out yesterday. But um, it's still, it deserves to have a wider audience. It is, I had a really great time listening to it. I'm going to go back to it. It's hard to complain about it when it's so tight, so lean, and so absolutely free of filler. So yeah, I highly recommend that for if you want a good kick of the latest in indie rock. And that's basically been my week. Micah, what have you been listening to lately that you want to shout out? One record, probably the, the one that I've been most in love with the past like couple weeks is called I Need to Start a Garden by Haley Heindricks. So this is from 2018. It's in indie rock and like folk and a little a smattering of like um, Midwest emo um, to it. It's a very short album. It's only like 30 minutes. And it's um, it's by this artist who has this incredible voice and this like strange kind of lyricism that I would actually compare to Adrian a little bit, just because of the, the like, just because of like weird references that she'll make that feel very personal, very like kind of mystifying too. And there's just like just really good songwriting, really good guitar playing. I, I read that she was influenced by um, John Fahey's style, who I haven't listened to a lot of, but I've gotten into a bit of like American primitivism type, type stuff via like Jim O'Rourke. Um, and I would comp compare her guitar style to Jim and like maybe a little like Elliot Smith, a little like Beatles-esque stuff. The, the title of the album, I Need to Start a Garden, there's one part where there's like the bridge of a song where she starts screaming it. And um, it's just a very cathartic moment. And it's uh, just a, a very fun album, very pretty too. And I'm looking forward to her coming back. She's like kind of uh, someone who's kind of a shadowy figure in the indie world because she's only released a little bit of stuff and it's been, you know, like four years now. So I, I feel like it'll be like a quiet, 
quiet event when uh, when she does come back. Another record I've been really into is Lance by Ninos Del Cerro. I hope I said that right. This is a band that takes a little bit after like Animal Collective. They 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 have a way of like breaking from really beautiful sounding stuff, really catchy indie rock style stuff, um, into like really noisy. I've seen someone compare them to Swans at times um, with some of the directions they can take their tracks in, where it'll be like a really fun and hype kind of like feels era animal collective stuff and then they'll take that into like a kind of noise rock maybe like a sonic youth kind of uh style so yeah that band i highly highly recommend every time I, I show that album to someone it seems like they they end up falling in love with it it just has like a certain vibe to it that um people seem to fuck with my third record is going to be a new one this is called continuance by currency and the alchemist um, the Alchemist, of course, is a legendary uh, hip hop producer, and Currency is uh, like I guess a stoner rapper who I listened to before I ever like smoked weed or anything. I listened to him a lot in like junior high and high school, and I have a lot of fondness for um, some old mixtapes of his. He used to do stuff with Wiz Khalifa, and Wiz Khalifa actually showed up on this album, much to my uh, delight. He Wiz hasn't like been a very uh, I feel like he doesn't try that much with his music nowadays and hasn't for a long time. But those old mixtapes that he had, old songs um, are still like, still just like get me super hyped. And uh, to have him on the album and to have Currency just like kill it track after track, just like throwing all of his personality over there, over these, um, you know, alchemists with his gorgeous loops and whatnot. Um, I think it's a really good album. Yeah, so I, there's that. I'll have to check this one out. I've been curious about this one. Um, I see Baldy James is on it as well, uh, who I love. Yes. Last, last year, we reviewed his record that he made with The Alchemist, which I think we all liked quite a bit. Um, and so like we've reviewed The Alchemist collaborations like a couple, a few times. And like sometimes mm -hmm. I think he really hits the mark with the production and other times he's maybe not the best fit for the artist. But with that um, Baldy James record, it was like, that was so good. So I'm, I've never listened to Currency, but I'm curious to see how their styles kind of meld because it looks like a really interesting album. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's um, it's a good time. It's um, I don't think it, it's not reinventing the wheel or anything. And I wouldn't say that it's on par with um, what was the what was the Boldy James record, the first one that he did with Alf last year. I can't remember the name, but um, oh, Bo Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Bo Jackson. That, that album is great. I would say that that one, like the chemistry between Alk and and Boldy, is just crazy. And and even on this album, I would say the best track is the one with Boldy that uh, there's a vocal sample that's used throughout it that is just hypnotic, I love it. So yeah, I do highly recommend cont Continuance. And then I'll do um, one more rec, and that is a new album that dropped just last night, and this is Squeezed by Sasami. Oh yeah, I've so, been meaning um, to listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> Sasami is, is just so cool to me, like her, her personality, watching her in interviews. Um, she said something in an interview once where she was like, literally like everyone on earth should make albums everyone should make music and express themselves in like a variety of ways and she she from what i understand she like she works with kids to teach them music and um she's just really into like art being a, a truly universal thing and the creation of it being that so i find that really inspiring and that, that kind of like fucking terrifying <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> It's so it's awesome. It's like a Junji Ito monster. <laughs> <laughs> and it fits too. Awesome. So like her, her debut album 
was like, I guess, pretty standard indie rock. Some of it like took after Stereo Lab because of the kind of like motoric beats that she would use on there. But it had like a very melancholic sound, very kind of sparse sound. This new one though, there are indie rock tracks again, but they're not really like taking after Stereo Lab or anything. They're more like anthemic and I'd say more like, mm, like classic indie rock. And those are mixed with tracks that are like industrial and alternative metal. Like it reminded me a tiny bit of Slipknot at times, who I, I haven't listened to a ton of, but like I remember as a kid coming across them and being terrified of them in a way that kind of reminds me of this cover or just like the, the their getups would just, just horrify me. But then eventually like listening to their music, I found like there's like a real, uh, real charm to it that I found. Um, so yeah, um, Squeezed by Sasami, highly, highly, highly recommend that new album. Yeah, I'm meaning to listen to it. I saw it like as soon as that dropped, it seemed to be getting a lot of buzz as well. I think that's also Stereo Gum's album of the week this week too. So that album cover, like you said, Jake, that's kind of every time I see that, it just kind of like sticks in my brain because it's so striking. of her working with children is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, good for her. I'm really excited to dig into that. Awesome. Well, without further ado then, let's move into the first of our main reviews today, which is of course... The new Big Thief album, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Now, Big Thief. Typically what we do at the top of these reviews is give a little bit of context for who the band are and how they arrived to this particular point in their career. Um, Micah, you're our guest and you're the most avowed Big Thief fan here. I've grown in the last couple of weeks to be like right up there in terms of like the Big Thief fandom. I hate that I just used that word. But you're still, I'm still, I still have no doubt that you're even higher up there than me. So why don't you talk a, a little bit about, like, lead off the bat about how, how you kind of encountered this band, your relationship with this band, how this band have kind of developed over the last sort of five, six years, and all the sort of contextual info that you think that we should know before we sort of start talking about the songs on this album. I first discovered this band when I saw the album cover for their second album, Capacity, which came out in like 2017. I don't even remember where exactly I saw it, but um, ever since I saw it, it was just like, just the most striking photo. And a big thing with me is like, if something has an interesting album art, then that immediately makes me want to listen to the music. Cause I'm like, I feel like if you have a good visual eye that that usually goes with an interesting ear for, for sounds and stuff. So. Um, I remember I was in a park and I put on Capacity and the first track, Pretty Things, just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, the way that Adrian can talk about, you know, gender issues, um, ma toxic masculinity, can talk about sex as a form of catharsis and a form of love and, and bonding. The way she does that on that track is just like, I mean, that was the first time I listened to them. And it was one of those moments similar to when I listened to Joanna for the first time where I was just like, I just found someone incredibly special. I just, I just, I'm about to fall in love with a new artist. You just know that from the moment right there. So yeah, Capacity was my first one. But um, to go back um, a little bit, I believe it was in 2016 when they dropped their first album, Masterpiece, which um, very <laughs> seemingly like a very cocky title, but um, it's, it's named for uh, an actual track on the album that I think is just like really sweet, has a kind of Neil Young vibe to it. That's, that I didn't really pick up on, on, on a lot of Big Thief stuff until recently. 
but yeah, Neil Young is like a huge reference point for them. Yeah, there's a song on this new record that sounds like something you would hear on a crazy horse record from the late 70s where they're just kind of like going absolutely nuts like it's specifically the song love 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 which sounds Mm. like a a crazy horse recording where you just have like presumably buck going like absolutely nuts and just doing this squalling kind of guitar passage that's like uh, filtered really strangely to sound like muffled and eerie and it just reminded me so much of that but also, yeah, Adrian's performance style and even to some extent her writing style in certain ways can be evoke can evoke songwriters, songwriters like Neil, I think. So yeah, I think yeah. that influence is definitely you can hear that. On um on Masterpiece, I would say that there was a kind of I mean, they still have this youthful energy, like the way that they just dropped a 20 track album with tons of different styles and just the there's nothing more that I love than an album that where you can feel the artists were bursting with creativity and we're just having a, a great time. And that's what you feel on this one. On their on their previous, like, what was it, four or five albums that they, they had done before this, the creativity is there, but it's just not as, like, in your face, you know, tons of styles being thrown at you. Um, but there's still, like, a lot of interesting stuff on their early, uh, that they did early on. So, like, on Masterpiece, you have a lot of um, indie folk and indie rock and whatnot. But there's also some like math rock popping in. There's a little bit of ambient stuff. The track Velvet Ring, which is a really beautiful track and really short. You would think that a track that's only like a couple minutes long and doesn't have, admittedly doesn't have like the strongest ending would um, not like stick in your mind. But just those couple short verses and then this weird sort of like I, it's hard for me to describe this, but it's like they sometimes the way they make their music, it makes it sound like it's like out of time or like they're looking in on time from an outside perspective. That's how I feel sometimes when they go ambient or on a few tracks on the new album that um, hopefully I'll talk about later where they do that. So yeah, masterpiece, capacity, also about capacity. I feel a real Radiohead influence on that one. A song like Great White Shark totally makes me think of Radiohead, like in Rainbow's era. Um, and it's awesome. It's uh, I've I've said this joke before, like Great White Shark is my favorite. It's one of my favorite Radiohead songs because it really does feel like them, but just super well done. And yeah, um, just right from the bat, you just Adrian's poetry, her songwriting, Buck's amazing background vocal harmonies with her. All of that, it just it just um, I don't know. For me, it just it clicks for me. But I think there is a, a real um, kind of universal appeal to them, a way that they kind of get at like something to the core of like what it is to be human they do in their music. Um, From Capacity, we had two more albums in 2019. We had UFOF, which had um, a lot of hype behind it, I remember. Um, That was another one that I got caught up in. So like I had heard Capacity on its own between hype cycles for albums. But then when UFOF came, that was one where I was like listening to all the singles and whatnot. And they went in a different direction there as well. It's a lot dreamier. It's a lot more psychedelic. It's um, also has a, a run of tracks like in the first half that are just devastating. Some of the most devastating tracks I've ever heard from and um, oh god, yeah, um, Open Desert, Orange, yeah, unbelievable tracks. Just like uh, <laughs> almost traumatizing to the point that they're uh, emotionally destructive. So yeah, and then later that year they dropped what up until this new album was my favorite Big Thief album, which was Two Hands where they kind of went in what I realize now is the start of this kind of country direction. 
There was like on on UFOF you had the song Cattails, which is fucking incredible, one of their best songs. Um, that has a bit of a country vibe, but Two Hands they like on like a song like Release, where you have some of the magic that like goes into a lot of their songs, Bucks background vocal harmonies, um, a kind of um, a pulling of influence from an older band that doesn't like at least I don't realize right away until later. So like it reminds me of Yola Tango doing a country song a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome. And of course that song, that album has the song Not, which was like, <laughs> that was like a tornado hitting the world of music. Uh, I feel like that. That, that, was, that was my song of the year in 2019. I think it was for a lot of people actually. The band never, like, just when you think you have an idea of, of Big Thief's sort of sonic identity and even the limitations of, of Big Thief, they will just do something that completely upends all of that. And yeah. um, again, the Neil Young Crazy Horse uh, con comparison seems particularly apt for a song like that as well, because the solo and the second half of that song it. is like, that's like some Cortez the Killer shit right there. Like, that's mm -hmm. super, 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 like, virtuosic stuff. And... Um, yeah, to me, like one of the great appeals of Big Thief has always been the relationship between the intimate but poetic and fractured and sort of enigmatic lyricism of Adrienne and her voice, of course, which is so crucial to the impact of a lot of what she sings as well, the way she's able to use it. She has what you might initially think if you're new to the band is, is quite a limited range, but she actually has a lot of skill and ability in terms of how she deploys it. And she is beautiful not only at writing really great lyrics but at constructing them in the way that she sings to make them hooky and addictive and also like without sacrificing any of the complication and weird abstraction that they often always have so she's always been really really good at that and the way that that has always interplayed with um or buck's guitar playing as well obviously adrian and buck both play the guitar um with the drumming of james krivchenia uh, who is incidentally the producer of this new record as well, uh, which is an interesting note to maybe kind of consider at certain points. And of course, bassist Max Oliarczyk. These are four people who feel like they are kind of one organism in a, in a big way, I think, when I listen to their music. There is this such this sense of kind of melding together that they kind of know each other so well or they're connected on such an intimate level that they can communicate telepathically almost like they can follow each other's uh, impulses and read what each other is thinking and seeing and and create music in this super kind of almost ethereal spiritual way where and I'm not just I'm trying not to read into it too much and project that onto them but they have said and they've described experiences of songwriting where it has kind of been like that where they've just kind of sat down together and one of them sort of started playing a melody or started singing and they've all just kind of like the songs have just kind of come together out of thin air like the creative effort for big thief seems effortless from the way they describe it at least it seems like the songs just kind of come to them and based on their output, I mean, from the last sort of six years, it seems like the songs just keep coming to them. I mean, this album, I mean, it is worth noting that this is obviously the longest um, gap we've had between Big Thief records, but it should also be noted that this was recorded in 2020. So pretty, they were already working on this um, basically around the same time that they were uh, releasing UFOF and Two Hands. And and um, so, yeah, the fact this is not like, while this feels like you you would assume this is something that's been intensely sort of labored over and I mean maybe perhaps to some extent it has been what 
it seems to be the case is that these songs have kind of just come out of them. And that's always the impression that I get when I listen to Big Thief is that they're able to channel some kind of, and this is going to sound silly, but they're able to channel some kind of like divine or spiritual energy that just allows them to make great music and allows them to make music that can be quite minimal and at times and sometimes quite fractured, but feel like intense in some intangible way that connects you to it. I think that's very true of UFOF, which is such an ethereal and dreamy record that it took me a few listens to kind of wrap my head around it. But I think that's even truer of this record too, uh, which is such an overwhelming experience the first time you listen to it because you know, 20 tracks, 80 minutes. There's a lot going on here. They're veering from one style to another. By all accounts, this record should not work. It should feel like a total mess. And maybe to some extent it does, but to me, it feels so holistically complete. I mean, there are songs here that just run into the next song. And like, um, for instance, at the moment where Flower of Blood goes into Blurred View, like those are two completely different songs, but they just kind of run into each other in a way that feels like you, it never, it's kind of, it throws you off a little bit in terms of the juxtaposition, but you're never taken out of the experience by those kinds of shifts. And I don't know, man. I mean, it's just something about the experience that feels so like that sucks you in so in intimately and intensely and never really hits a lull or never really kind of lets you go out of that, at least for me anyway. Jake, at this point, I want to turn to you because I literally, and this is actually a rare thing, uh, I don't actually have a goddamn clue what you think of this album because you haven't rated it. At least last time I checked, you hadn't rated it. And in a lot of ways, I'm glad. In a lot of ways, I'm anxious because I know that you've had a bit of a, and if you like, you weren't really into UFOF, but then you really liked Two Hands. And those are kind of two polar polarities of their sound. And this is this kind of like collision of the two, but also with seven other things thrown into it as well. So uh, what was your experience like? Because uh, I know you'll have listened to this a few times. What's your experience been like listening to this record? How did it hit you sort of initially? And how are you kind of feeling now? Well, good to know that that was 100% my intention, that I absolutely, I kept so tight-lipped about this very intentionally so that nobody would know what I thought. That said, the, my first exposure to Big Feep was actually through the songs and instrumentals uh, stuff that Adrian put out because the song, oh, well, it, it made our end of the year list. And so Anything. obviously I listened to it because of you. And I listened to that song and thought it was terrific. And I just knew that at that time, that Big Thief were a big indie blog, pitchfork kind of band. And the only thing I knew about them is that, you know, you have to let their music grow on you a little bit. So naturally, when I'm literally constantly listening to new shit for the podcast and for, you know, my own, you know, musical adventure, uh, I, I'm, I'm not exactly super prone to go after a band that is super like discoursed and super like, you know, you, you have to devote a lot of time and attention to them. So naturally I was kind of like waiting for this opportunity to be able to do that. And UFOF was my first album from them. And I listened to it with the express intention of listening to it, waiting a while and then listening to it again so I could get it. And it still really isn't for me, but 
really it was listening to that in combination with two hands that sort of let me see the matrix as it were with this band and to why as to why they were popular is really is that the the versatility of those two records alone is that like even though i'm not really a i don't really connect with i guess probably the instrumental presence of ufof is that it still gives you an idea of just how multifaceted this band can be and it was really good to understand that finally as because like you know everybody's talking about this band new album a lot of hype behind it so naturally i was like okay i i feel like i get this now so i can at least go in with a little bit more of an informed perspective and then afterwards of course i was really nervous about listening to this because you know naturally 80 minute album double album already kind of tenuous uh, and even though I really love Two Hands, it's a great fucking record. There's just no way of telling what you're, you know, predicting what my reaction is going to be to a band like this that's still in many ways, I think, in their musical career's infancy. So, and not to mention the other insanely, supremely hyped record this year, the new uh, Black Country New Road album was one that I found myself at a considerable distance with. So when this was the second highest rated album of this year, and it's also an album that I keep seeing all over my like Twitter timeline and whatnot, it's a bit intimidating to approach. Long story short, uh, we're talking about three albums this week, uh, combined with our main episode here and our uh, record club. And while it's not here yet, I own all three of these albums on vinyl now. This is the first album I've listened to this year that I have fully and completely fallen in love with. Um, which is funny. <laughs> which is funny because, like, there's it, it's the fucking end of February, and we have had, like, 10 solidly great albums released this year which is ju which just doesn't happen that that it, it's it's wild to me that like we've had releases from people like you know earl sweatshirt and cult of luna and fk twigs and like you know it, it's just it's insane to me that this year has started off this way so naturally i've liked a lot of albums that have been released so far but there have been very few this year that i have been like i've loved a lot of them but i haven't fallen in love with them i'd say maybe the cloakroom's dissolution wave is maybe another one but nobody gives a fuck about that album so i can't really talk about it but getting to like understand this and see what the hype is all about has been utterly joyous this album i've like needed this shit this week is because this album is so warm and expansive and it's just so wonderful to find yourself lost in it reminds me a lot of my favorite double albums which is sort of the like even though i'm hesitant to approach longer albums like that when i find a good double album or just a good long album to really sink my teeth into it's always going to be something that i'm going to cherish because i love being lost within it the way that you know you can't be with uh musical experiences like that it's fun to get lost inside bigger albums like this is the point that I'm making. I talked about this with an album like uh, Autaker's XI a couple of weeks ago is that I, I find it a real treat. Uh, and I mean, we're probably gonna talk about Beach House in that respect too. But this album reminds me a lot of my other favorite records like this. Notably, I think this has the most in common with my favorite album from any of the uh, Beatles, which is George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Um, which is an album that is similarly sprawling, long, has influence from multiple genres, multiple different experiments, and is still somehow 
very sonically cohesive, very warm, you know, it's rock driven. It's It's got a lot of the, I almost feel like the albums are similarly structured in many ways. But the cool thing about this album is honestly how it manages to be so multifaceted without feeling jarring. And I think that's just down to the flow of the sequencing and the tracks here. You have something like Change with the opener, which uh, fucking I, I love this song, um, which is really like plain and plaintive. And in that first verse, you even get a little taste of like, there's a moment where she men lyrically mentions space and you just hear this like little ambient, ethereal kind of like wash in the background of the mix there. And that's sort of leaning on to the fact that this album has a lot of neo-psychedelia in it. Uh, sonically, there's a lot of moments on here that actually remind me of another one of my favorite Americana uh, artists and records, that being Sturgill Simpson's A Sailor's Guide to Earth, which is a very unique combination of psychedelia and outlaw country, um, which I think is found all over here, actually. Um, and Change is a really good opener because it's very easy to swallow. I think Adrian's vocals on here are like, she's really, really channeling Stevie Nicks on this album, which is not at all a bad thing. Like she's really leaning into the pronunciation of her consonants too on here. So it makes her sound like a little bit like she's almost kind of got a little bit of an accent, which is really nice to hear just because she's got an outstanding voice. But then you immediately go from Change, which is a really easy to grasp song into Time Escaping, which is like the percussion on this song. What the fuck is happening on this song? It's like a fucking waterfall of drums. And you're just like, whoa. And then you go into Spud Infinity, which is this just absolutely rollicking Americana song, which is so lyrically catchy and so fun. And within this three song span, you get a really good idea of the macro and micro of this album is that it alternates between Adrian focusing on themes of really, really close interpersonal human intimacy and the vast expanse that humanity exists within the cosmos. Like literally, it's that big. She literally talks about, you know, when I say, you know, it's when I say extraterrestrial, like on the Spud Infinity, talking about, you know, just how small humanity can be. But there's never like a, a hopelessness or a despair to that. It, it's, it's like finding the magic and the simplicity of life, despite the vast expanse, is a really overwhelming and overriding theme here. It's that um, line in Spud Infinity of what's it going to take to free the celestial body? The idea of like, unleashing yes. i think what she calls the alien in your own heart and like mm -hmm. that idea of like freedom of expression and freedom of you know being able to be the the whatever kind of ugly wild creature is within you and she's like that aspect of the the inner person the true understanding and knowing someone on a true level and understanding and knowing yourself on a true level is something that she's written about a lot and in lots of different forms and she leans into sort of spiritual imagery and she does evoke space in the cosmos a lot as well um and i'm sure Micah, that you have thoughts on on Adrian's sort of lyrical motifs and where she comes from as a lyricist as well. Time is getting one of those tracks that um, what I kind of referenced earlier about Velvet Ring, where um, with Time Escaping, with um, it's called Little Things, which is my personal favorite on the album, and oh, um, okay. Dragon New War Mountain, the title track. Like it's hard for me to describe, maybe because I just don't know how to talk like technically about music well enough. But it's just 
they they have like these songs are about time they're about sort of at times getting lost in memories and they have a way of through percussion and through like making their guitars and other instruments sound like they're taking up more space than they possibly could that it becomes like very evocative of time of like the way time moves and how time can be lost how you can get lost within it it's um it's I find it very unique. Like, I, I don't know anybody else who can move me to that level while also like making me feel like, like I'm transcending. It's awesome. And um, the, the, the way she talks about nature as well, um, that's something that I, that I connected with with Phil Elvram over the years, with him, with yes. um, Fleet Foxes and other bands like that. Um, and like you were saying about the cosmos, taking these, these huge concepts, these huge parts of our reality, and instead of making them seem like we live in a, a cold and vast universe, a cold, vast and caring universe that um, her love for like her partner who she left, who, who relationship I think dissolved in like 2019, to make her love for this person feel as infinite as the cosmos gives it a, a warmth to this vastness that we live within. Um, and a feeling of like belonging that I get from their music that is just, uh, <laughs> just incredible just heartwarming you you note phil elverham and there's uh, there's a lot of influences on this album but like the moment i heard promises a pendulum i was like this is this is the most phil elverham shit i have ever heard in my life and hell the radiohead influence on stuff like um one of my favorite tracks on here which is blurred view that sounds like it's right off of a moon-shaped pool like the the way that this album just manages to hop around sonically without making me feel like it's inducing whiplash, like I don't, I I physically like and mentally cannot comprehend why this is not a complete mess, and you know maybe it's just my love for all of the individual songs here, but like I even find joy in the like shorter less substantive stuff like Heavy Bend, which has this beautiful fucking harp that plays in the background of it, which kind of transitions the first third of the album into the second third of it, which again, you go into like the three track run of Heavy Bend, Flower of Blood, which is another song that just sounds fucking incredible. And then right into Blurred View, you, you get like a little bit darker of a moment, but it kind of brings you back with the celebratory like overwhelming joy of something like red moon which again super neil young like just like so raucous and and fun and like the album takes you on so many different places i think the album cover honestly is super evocative of the experience is that this feels like some kind of like astral campfire that adrian is like the storyteller of and you're like listening to all these narrative digressions and stories so once you get to the end of the album you really do feel like you've been on this insanely long interpersonal journey and oh god like astral <laughs> astral campfire should be the name of the next big thief album please that's that's I an awesome that. way to try it sounds like an animal collective song <laughs> like i um yeah there's like moments on this record um and i i don't i like to try and not use this word too much because it's so it's so loaded with pretense and it's so overused but i so when i use it i genuinely mean it there are moments on this record that i find transcendental to listen to and i don't mm -hmm. just mean that as like an uh as a a term to try and like 
hype be hyperbolic about how awesome it is i mean like moments on this record where i feel like i can sink into them and like it leave my body to a certain extent like, the like title adrian track, is channeling another world that you are finally getting to see the title track i think is the like the most the most incredible example of this a song which it's worth noting that when they play it live it's this kind of raucous incredibly sort of like intense song with a lot of sort of resonant guitar parts really? but on the record it is stripped into something that's much sort of calmer uh, overall and uh the way i described it on twitter today while i was listening to it was it's um it sounds like it was beamed in from a distant planet where the mountains are made of clouds uh oh i was i was getting on my i was getting on my poetic shit uh reading along to adrian's lyrics um, right though but but the way that uh she says um it's a little bit magic just the way that she mm. says that like she just kind of like she feels like she is her voice is just this kind of disembodied presence that's kind of hanging over the soundscape like a kind of god and and then the way that she kind of like brings in a little bit more of that kind of timbre when she says i believe in you and and she, again this is what i was saying earlier about how she's she has this voice that's very distinct that might seem like it's quite limited in range but she's able to kind of eke out these nuances and subtleties and variations in the way that she performs that just means you are fixated on her whenever she's performing she's just incredible at doing that kind of thing and I mean, the moments on this record that really transport me, that really kind of take me away to a different place are, I mean, there's so many of them that it's difficult to like even isolate particular choices. But um, one song I want to shout out is, and it's a bit weird because it's kind of like, it's a song that's so different from everything else on the record. And on, a, on a, any other record, it kind of wouldn't really work at all. But the point of the record where it happens and also, I think what it tells you in a really kind of elemental and simple way about Adrian's personality and songwriting is Wake Me Up to Drive, which is what hands down one of my favorite songs on this record, uh, which is interesting because it's like it, well, the first time I listened to it, it was kind of like, well, okay, that's a bit strange. I'll come back to that. And gradually it's wormed its way up for me. Um, what's notable about this is that it is probably... I don't know if it's fair to say it's the most stripped down thing here. It's probably not. That's probably changed, but it has the most lo-fi quality to it. It has what sounds like a kind of Casio keyboard preset beat. And it's very like, uh, it feels like it was recorded very intimately into like a tape recorder or something like that. And the lyrical sentiment is very straightforward and it, it lacks a lot of the intensely um, literary poetry that Adrian deploys on other parts of the record. But the way that the line I think wake me up to drive uh, even if I'm tired I don't want to miss the ride like right there within that line I think is a is a, a gorgeous encapsulation of Adrian's entire philosophical worldview of living of of being not just living as well but kind of being present in the world that you're in and being attuned to the nuances and beauty and details of the world that you're living in Adrian has I don't I can't speculate on Adrienne's like personal history and upbringing or anything like that although there's certain aspects of her life that she has referred to in her songwriting but um Adrienne has written songs that feel like they whatever that experience is I can't say but that feel like they channel like a reckoning with some kind of traumatic upbringing I know that she was raised in what she described as a religious cult so I don't want to speculate any further on that 
there are songs that Adrienne has written in the past where you get a sense of her having, like, trying to make peace with some difficult part of her past related to people that she loves. And what's so beautiful about this record in particular and songs like Wake Me Up to Drive, but I think it's scattered all over this record, maybe more so than any other previous Big Thief record, is a feeling of being grateful to be alive, a feeling of being like exhilarated by life, a feeling of not having, not feeling weighed down by the kind of shadows of the past or even the shadows of the future, but like a kind of cosmic gratefulness for the present moment. And maybe I'm starting to sound a bit you know, eerie fairy or whatever, but like that's the kind of mindset this record puts you in. So I think it's kind of the mindset you have to take to pick, pick it apart. And that general feeling of like joyfulness and just general bliss is something that makes the album so uh, attractive and beautiful and kind of carries across it, even in its darker moments, right? They're just a part of the natural ebb and flow of the dark and the light. Like it doesn't mean that the world is all darkness. And of course there's, the lyric that recurs at the beginning and the end of this album, I want to live forever till I die. That is like the Wake Me Up to Drive song. That's also like this beautiful, simple little encapsulation of, of where Adrienne is at in her life. And what makes another thing that makes this album so captivating is that she's communicating this feeling of like gratefulness to be alive, of like attuneness with the world around her. And as I said earlier, all of these other musicians who are with her are equally in tune with each other and in tune with her. So you have these songs about being in tune with the world that are made through this process that just exudes this synergy between these people in this room making it. And you feel that, you feel it so deeply. I think it's part of the reason why the last two albums are just like the album covers are just photos of the band and you kind of get that sense of the real camaraderie that they have. But, um, and I love Adrian's solo work as well. It's beautiful. It's exclusively brilliant. But when the band are together and you get that feeling of synergy and communication that's happening even on an implicit level, I think it adds and fleshes out so much of that general feeling of, of, of joy and maybe joy isn't even the right word, but kind of just like exhilaration at being alive and being in tune with the world and the people around you. <laughs> I don't know if any of that made any sense, but I feel oh, it absolutely. every time I listen to this record. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that. There's a moment in Time Escaping where she just suddenly goes, it's music, it's music. And it's just like that moment always, it brings up as big a smile to my face as in Red Moon with the That's My Grandma uh, shout out. Because yeah. it's like it, the the love and like the whole album, I feel like albums like this, um, and I would include like something like the White Album as well. Like they, they feel like celebrations of music and celebrations of the ability to create art and to express yourself and, and just being um, boundlessly created with it. I, I also love the way the album ends where um what someone says um okay what should we do next right at the very end of blue lightning and then the album and then this 80 minute album is over and you're like oh so <laughs> you just feel like even this album obviously like you know this isn't the end of the band of course but it's just like um you you you're already looking forward to what's going to be coming next and that applies to creation of music and to just life in general um, yeah. I, I have also gotten the sense that there is a dealing with childhood trauma in their music and in and, 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 uh, Adrian's solo stuff. 
on an album like um, Hours Were the Birds, which I don't think is actually her debut album, but is um, sort of like to me where the start of the story really begins with um, her and the entire band. Um, there's tracks like Gone that are just, that, that have a, a, a very youthful feeling to them while also feeling like desperately lonely, desperately longing, um, wanting to, to find some kind of peace after having gone through something. And so, yeah, that um, I hadn't entirely thought about that before, like that this album is like feeling grateful to be alive after all of that. But yeah, that's that's beautiful. There's there's so many ways to think about this album to to break it apart because there's just there's like <laughs> there's something that um, Matt Berninger of the National has said before, where like when he's asked if a song is like about romance or about politics or about um, death or whatever, he's like it, it's about all of that. He he can't separate any one of these things from any moment from any lyric in any song that he's written, and that's a that's a quality that is like present in a lot of songwriting that I really dig. And, and that's in spades in this album. The first time I listened to the album and we went from Little Things to Heavy Bend and then Flower of Blood and Blurred View. And I was just like, like I felt like I, I had gone through, like I had gotten on a roller coaster ride. So I knew it was gonna be crazy. But suddenly like I ended up on three different ones during this one ride. And I didn't know my whereabouts, but like, um, I think like uh, Jake said, when you get to Red Moon, we're sort of back from this slight direction into darkness, into something warm and raucous and fun again. And um, on Red Moon, there's some like, the, the second to last verse where she's like, radio singing from the corner of the kitchen. I've got the oven on, I've got the onions wishing they hadn't made me cry. Like. I don't 100% have a full idea of how that ties into exactly what the song is about, but just an individual line like that, the amount of like the kind of energy there, like to, to use something like onions, to be so creative, to take the, the way that onions can draw tears out and to like, say like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting back at them by cooking them. There's just something very, um, uh, just about the energy that I really dig. And I also love the idea of like turning off the TV, turning off movies, turning off television, and going outside and just being amazed by the wonders of nature, like seeing a glisten in, in the owl's eye, watching the red moon, looking at the violet sky. I really connect with stuff like that. So one day I actually took this album, not, not took the album, I, you know, I played the album while I was out. I went hiking for a few hours and um, listening to this album out in a, in a natural setting just gave it a whole new life. I'm like, I'm walking around little like, random streams of kind of foresty area, just like, <laughs> like kicking twigs and stuff, listening to Red Moon or No Reason comes on and I'm just like in a state of pure, pure bliss, standing in a field of tall grass and stuff. Their music just like makes me feel connected to everything, to nature, to humanity, to, to everything. I just love that about them. It's again, one of those qualities that makes the album so attractive to listen to and again those little moments where you feel like you could be in the room with them like the moments where the recordings just feel so intimate and closely mic'd and and, and beautiful another one of my favorite songs on the album uh, is dried roses which comes kind of right after red moon at that point and this to me is like there's shades of Joni Mitchell in this there's shades of a lot of kind of classical sort of 70s female singer songwriters but there is a particularly unique sort of, I don't even want to call it melancholic because it's not melancholic. It's kind of 
peaceful but also there's a sense of sadness to it and parts of it and there's a sense of of you know the weight of of living to a certain extent as well but then all of that is simplified and and cancelled out and just pulled into this sort of two-word phrase of dried roses like that is some those words are used to kind of channel the loneliness and the excitement and the overwhelming feeling uh that adrian experiences in a kind of mundane domestic situation and just taking all of that feeling that boundless feeling just kind of condensing it into dried roses and coming back to that as a lyrical motif is I identify I, I really moving and again like it's the intimacy of the way it's recorded as well like the, those little quieter moments on this album have so much impact because they're treated uh, in their own way like they're treated intimately and, and the louder moments are treated like hugely and it's not like this album which has all these different sounds is produced in this really monochromatic way it's not like that at all it is the production and the general sound and the intensity of the mix and whatever is adjusted to suit the needs of every individual song which makes it even more miraculous that the whole thing hangs together the way it does i think yeah as a point of contrast with a song like dried roses which is one of the most spare things here you have a song like little things which is again one of many tracks that uh, like Big Thief have like at least one, often more than one song in every album where you just kind of, they take the opportunity to kind of just bowl you away with the sound design they can wring out of their instrumentations. And the intensity of this song, like it's like an REM song, like five REM songs put in a blender and then like turned up. So you have this kind of like jangling quality, but it's like super loud and kind of almost compressed to a certain extent. And it's just kind of, invading your your brain while you're listening to it and it's so beautiful there's like elements like another band that i was reminded of at certain points during this record production wise and in just in terms of the approach to instrumentation is wilco i think um a lot of people a lot of i already know a few people who love wilco who are really really into big thief there's a big sense of overlap there i think and like in the sound design of a song like little things where you have this kind of like intense uh, persistent guitar and these kind of like atmospheric washes of sound you very much evoke a record like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot or A Ghost Is Born um, whereas then you have other songs like uh, Spud Infinity and um, No Reason and um, The Only Place maybe that kind of evoke a little bit more of that later 2000s Wilco but yeah and of course while we're making record comparisons a pretty obvious one as well on the note of this kind of big ambitious indie rock double album is being there wilco's um second record i think from 1999 is very much kind of like feels like a blueprint for this as does fleetwood max tusk which is a comparison i keep coming back to because that while that record is is much more dour and somber and sad in tone overall it has the same sense of like eclecticism in terms of you will be thrown from one song to something that's completely different and you're experiencing kind of the creative whims of artists who are totally un, have unrestrained in any way, which is, again, another part of the lively, exciting nature of this album, I think. If I didn't make it clear earlier, I'm pretty sure the title track on this record is probably the biggest frontrunner for my favorite song of the year. And... The best part is, and to put why I think this album is so great and why I love it so much, is that I don't really know why. 
Like, I'm not even entirely certain I know what Adrian is even talking about on this song. Uh, same goes for Simulation Swarm, which is another song I find similarly compelling. Uh, you get a better idea of what that song is about, I think. But both of these songs captivate me for very ephemeral reasons. And overall, it kind of feels like the album itself is sort of channeling that ephemeral quality that you have to properly live with for you to discover the song's meaning to you, which I think this record is sort of designed to have its own personal experience with everyone who engages with and listens to it. And that's just, it's perfectly designed for somebody like me. And I feel like somebody like Riley, uh, just to engage with it in that very particular way. And I'm infinitely grateful for it because it's been an amazing source of comfort for the last week. And I really just look forward to letting myself live with it even longer. I'm, I'm going to be real with you all. Um, Simulation Swarm is my favorite song on this album. And I, I mean, I listened to this album like a dozen times now, I think, in full. And then individual songs, maybe probably more than that. I cannot listen to this song without crying. I just can't do it's it. Really emotional, and I don't even really understand all of it. It has, um, I think, my favorite chorus of this whole album in terms of both melody and lyricism. The way that she sings, I'd fly to you tomorrow. I'm not fighting in this war. I want to drop my arms and take your arms and walk you to the shore. Like that to me, I mean, that's one of the most comforting and, and loving lyrics that I think I've ever heard in my life. And it's not even just the word, it's it's the way it's delivered as well. She has this, what I would term quiet urgency in the song and the way that she sings and that she doesn't really raise her voice very much. She's almost, she's kind of a few notches above a whisper for most of it, but she's singing so fast and she's getting through so words so quickly. It's like they're tumbling out of her mouth, but she has to keep herself quiet in order, because if she lets herself go up get too like intense in her in her voice then she'll fall apart and there is a sense of urgency the song has because of that it's relatively paired back but there are moments where the instrumentation swells like on the chorus there's this sort of really lovely beautiful finger-picked melody that is classic big thief to me a lot of their best songs kind of have that sense of a lilting sort of finger-picked acoustic melody but there's so much atmosphere and space in the song and it's also a song that I've grown to appreciate more and more and more, the more I've fallen in love with Big Thief as well, because I mean, like a lot of the, like a lot of Adrian's songs, um, it's very personal and you can, you can read into it and understand and appreciate more of that the more you know about Adrian. What I think is my favorite Big Thief song overall, uh, which is Mythological Beauty off of Capacity. That's a song that, um, where she talks about her feelings about her her long lost brother, essentially, who she's never met, who her mother gave up at birth, Andy, and um, she that song she refers to him quite extensively, and she refers to him again on Simulation Swarm, and like the, the way again the way that she sings about him. I believe we can renew and you could be my brother once again, fall asleep with our backs against each other. You believe, I believe too, that you are the river of light who I love that I sing to in the belly of the empty night. Those lyrics, the way she delivers them, again, that quiet intensity, but the beauty of it is so impactful and, and communicates that connection that she has to someone she's never met as far as we know, so strongly that it really like 
it becomes emblematic of this whole vibe of the record where it's like you there is a connection between you and every other living thing in the world like an inherent connection that adrienne has reached a place in her life where she is able to tap into that connection and even though she's never met her brother she because she's so connected with the world around her now she can feel that she knows him she can feel that she can fly to him tomorrow that she can walk him to the shore that she can have this you know deep connection to regardless of whether they are together or whether she actually knows him in the sense that we all know each other the way this song kind of feeds into that connection to the world thing uh, but brings in this personal aspect of adrian's life like it, it really <laughs> it really gets to me man <laughs> oh that's I was gonna say, um, mythological beauty, simulation swarm, another song on capacity called Haley, and um oh. on masterpiece. What is the one on masterpiece? Um there's another track on that album where she talks of oh, um, Animals, Animals, which is like one of the more math rocky songs on there. In all of those songs, she talks about um either reconnecting with someone lost, usually her brother, or um having to leave someone. But, but still trying to express love for them. And I think those are some of her most powerful songs. Um, mythological beauty, like Simulation Swarm, incredibly cathartic while also being comforting at the same time. The story she's ultimately telling in the song is, um, you know, in the end, it, it, it essentially works out in that one where, where she, um, I think what happens is like she, she falls and hits her head when she was really young and her mother um, rushes her to the hospital. But in that, in the moment where you were, you know she's trying the band is trying to express that you don't know where what's going to happen that they didn't know at the time whether she was going to survive whether she was going to be okay the intensity that the song brings is just it, it's it's insane it, it it's moved me to tears multiple times and you 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 feel like you you like I scream along to the song when I listen to it and then a song like Haley um they, they have a way of being so um, punchy with um, like James's drumming can be so punchy during these songs that are also incredibly moving. Simulation Swarm, um, I've actually compared it to like Pink Pantheris, oddly enough. It's just the, 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 the drumming that James is doing in that song is so catchy. I, I, I get caught up in it every time. But at the same time, I'm also super, super moved. One song I want to shout out that we haven't gotten to yet that's really kind of started to hit me more and more is the second to last song on this album the only place which again i feel like emblematic of all of the things that we've talked about right from the go what if all the worlds and space would melt into one single place and intertwine the human race with other kinds the atom is an empty vase a vehicle to no embrace the way you feel the way you taste it multiplies when all material scatters and ashes amplify, the only place that matters is by your side. What if all the time between the words we say and what we mean would roll as softly as a stream that we could ride? We'd ride the bend from source to mouth. I want a friend from north to south to build that question as a house where we'd reside. I just had to read the lyrics because I feel like trying to break them down or like trying to describe them without reading them would be doing them a disservice everything you need to know about this record and about what's beautiful about it and about what can I think be so life-affirming in it 
is in this song is in those lyrics that sense of eternal comfort and eternal company and that's the fact that big thief uh, to me this album is one big testament to not being alone uh in the universe and what in whatever way you want to interpret that and i think it comes to a head where it's maybe distilled or refined down to its most powerful expression on um the only place uh, which yeah incredible all right well uh let's wrap this up then and talk about it and move into our favorite tracks and ratings for the big thief album jake why don't you lead us off with your three favorite tracks and your rating my three favorite tracks are going to be the title track dragon new war mountain i believe in you blurred view and fuck it simulation swarm uh i know least favorite tracks i'm gonna hedge here 9.5 out of 10 i've i've not lived with this enough but i have a feeling that score is not going to stay the same just saying all right my three favorite tracks are simulation swarm little things and i'm gonna say dried roses fuck it uh least favorite no i mean there are songs here that i think i would i would rank lower if i were to rank the album but i don't i don't even want to it's all it's all amazing uh and this is and i've i've toiled over this for two weeks now like what rating am i going to give it it was at a nine for the longest time but just this morning I, I i finally brought myself to the decision where i'm like yeah no this is a 10 out of 10 and so there we have it um that's my rating like it so my three favorite tracks um little things red moon and the only place and speaking of the only place, um, I had heard this track. It was one of the few that wasn't a single that I'd heard prior to the album coming out because Adrian had performed it solo um, on Instagram. And um, if you can find the video for that on YouTube, anyone who, who really digs this band and wants to find it, it's a beautiful performance. It's, it's even more intimate than this one here, even more um, um, hushed and, and I think moving in a way. But I'm so glad that they kept some tracks that feel like they could have been on Adrian's solo work here. So you have The Only Place and you have um, um, Promises of Pendulum and um, I'd say Dried Roses too. They all feel like they could have been, um, I saw someone describe them as like outtakes from songs that are just as good as the songs on songs. And that's how I would describe it. Um, but I would say those three tracks, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna even pick a, a, a least favorite here. There were tracks that took a while to grow on me, but um, like, like I can't even like, I, I, if I did pick one, it would probably be Bert Blurred View, just because like, you know, when it, when it, it kind of stays kind of the same up until you get to that rush of sense near the end. I, I mean, that's just such a nitpick because it fits beautifully into the album. It's such an awesome moment. It's such a, you can't really like quite put your finger on exactly what she's saying, but you get some ideas and they're both, again, haunting and comforting at the same time. And all in all, yeah, I have to give this album a 10. I, I, a few days after it came out, I'm like, let me, let me like, let me actually just like calm down a little bit. I'm too big of a, a stand for this band to just be like jumping in and giving it a 10, but no, 
it's, yeah. it's a goddamn time. That, that was exactly my process as well. Like, I need to make sure I'm not, like, just jumping the gun. But no. So that is an average rating of 9.8 from the three of us for Big Thief's Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Now let's move into the second album that we're going to review today, which is just with me and Micah, and that is... Beach Houses, Once, Twice, Melody. Now, Beach House are a legacy dream pop act. Probably the biggest act in that genre working today. I mean, almost to the point of having a monopoly over modern dream pop discourse and discussion. Like, they're so dominant. Uh, they rose to prominence in the late 2000s. And then I think with 2010's Teen Dream, embarked upon a string of incredibly critically beloved and i mean personally i am a huge fan of all of their records um they brought a a real sense of pop immediacy and dense sort of orchestration and beauty to dream pop that elevated it above i guess some of the more sedentary dream pop bands of the time like real estate for instance beach house always kind of stood well above the pile in terms of how well they how good they were at creating these dense and uh, intimate and beautiful atmospheres of sound that pull you in so much and victoria legrand singer front woman of this band always really good at crafting melodic hooks and sort of bringing you along in a way that makes the songs feel sort of accessible despite how sometimes more formless they may be reached a kind of pop peak with 2012's bloom which is still probably to date their most kind of accessible and and generally beloved record uh then sort of went into the weeds a bit with the two albums they put out in 2015 depression cherry and thank you lucky stars i'm personally really really fond of both of those records particularly depression cherry but they are they kind of do go in a sort of moodier and more sort of like i think thick atmospheric direction that kind of pulls back from some of the poppier brighter instincts of teen dream and bloom and then you had uh 2018 seven which was almost kind of like a a, a rejuvenation of the band to a certain extent like there are some of their punchiest production yet some of their most immediate songs it wasn't bloom but it felt like it was um a really sharp refinement of how catchy and accessible beach house could be while also sort of giving you soundscapes and, and, and instrumentation that was as interesting as it had ever been um, but i think with beach house for a lot of people that i've spoken to it's kind of a band where you're into them or you're not into them and it's like no one album is going to change that it's not going to be like you listen to uh bloom and you disliked it but you'll like i don't know thank you lucky stars or whatever i think you're either you either dig this band or you don't and so with any Beach House record, I think, no matter what, like they're, they're such a consistent band and quality and in terms of like how being recognizable and what they do that if you're not a Beach House fan, whatever record they're working on now is probably not going to convert you. But it, sh it has to be said that they're certainly um, they're certainly kind of upping the ante with this new record, Once Twice Melody. It is a, a double album, 80 minutes, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, it is obviously their longest album to date. Uh, the release pattern for this record was unusual as well. Uh, it was kind of split into four quarters that were released uh, individually a month apart. So I think in November, we got chapter one, December, we got chapter two, January, we got chapter three. And then along with the 
full release of the album chapter four uh just a week ago and so it was an interesting release strategy because it allowed you to consume the album in these kind of bite-sized chunks such that by the time it was out in full most beach house fans unless you were saving yourself had already kind of experienced a good chunk of the record and so as a result of that i have like more familiarity with the earlier parts of the records and the later parts of the records just because they've been in my life for so long but yeah Ica, I'm curious about so your relationship with Beach House, your kind of how how long you've been into their music, what you how you feel about it, um, whether you what your thoughts and opinions are on that release strategy, what extent you kind of uh, listened during the rollout, and yeah, sort of where you're at overall at this point. Um, so I first got into Beach House, if I remember correctly, when Seven was coming out. Um, I think there were a couple singles for that, and those were kind of intriguing, but it was listening to the album a couple times over that really got to me. Um, there's something about like music that feels kind of simple to me and like where like what's awesome about is kind of on the surface where like I'll I'll need to return to it to, to like be fully convinced that I really dig this, that there's like really something magical here. So like, I think when I first was trying to get into them, it took a little bit, a little while, but um, yeah, seven, seven was really the one. It just had some um, tracks like Drunken LA that um, I found really devastating. And that like, I, where my initial impression was that Victoria was kind of like a kind of vibey lyricist, if that makes sense. That she actually has some really interesting imagery that she brings up in her music. Like in that one, she she has this girl who's thinking about, if I remember correctly, like the, the shortness of life or, um, a lack or like how oh like her privilege in life and um she she mentions um a strawberry and how it's like this really like unique thing this this sweet thing that just comes about naturally that just happens to exist and that's that kind of makes me think of like the i guess the main character of that song's sort of feeling about their just happening to exist in that one um, so, so anyway, so it was seven and then I just slowly just went through their entire discography. I came across um, Devotion at one point and that one took a little bit of time to fully grow on me. But now, and it's been this way for a while, Devotion is my favorite Beach House album. Um, and I have, like, I guess, a kind of weird ranking of their records, but it's like, to me, um, Devotion and Teen Dream, the one right after it, the, that was where they hit their peak. That was where they made just... Um, incredibly consistent, beautiful, warm, just like the warmest toned albums in the world. And I have a love for, for all of their records, although their, their debut, I think, is a little, I think the glow up from their debut to Devotion is, is pretty wild to me. But yeah, that was basically my journey with Beach House. With um, this new album, with the, the way that they released it, I was, I was hesitant about it. I, I wasn't entirely sure if I liked um, splitting the album like that because Moses Sumney had did a similar thing. And um, yeah. like, I think it was 2020 when he was, when he split Gray in two. And it felt like there was just such a long time between those two parts that it just didn't need to be there. But with this one, I actually really liked the way it was released. Um, especially as I realized like each chapter has a slightly different vibe and, and, sort of um kind of builds to its finale i love that like when i listen to the album all together now i can feel like the third one is like the most uh moving to me with a with a track like sunset and tracks like illusion of forever oh my god those are such 
beautiful and moving tracks. And then the last, the last chapter actually, it, it's it's moving in a different way. A track like "Hurts to Love" is is very fun and and incredibly vibrant, but it's also um, there is something like that feels like a finale about it. And same with the final track. There, it's so it's so grand and and like gargantuan size. Um, and I wouldn't say it's moving in quite the same way the third one is, but it builds to a climax that I can't help but get just totally caught up in emotionally. So I, I, I mess with the with the way it was released. I um I am slightly more familiar with the the previous three chapters as well, and and with each one, you know, um slightly less than. But I think they all come together beautifully. Yeah, I think so. Like around the time of depression, Cherry and Thank You're Lucky Stars, it felt like Beach House was sort of retreating inward into this kind of like really sort of, and I say this in a in a positive way because I love those records, but kind of a monotonous sort of really sort of gauzy hazy sort of vibey landscape um and then they kind of came out of that with um seven and that's kind of the inverse of those two albums in a lot of ways and with once twice melody it feels like they've kind of reconciled the different sort of directions production wise and sonics wise that they've explored with you know the limited palette of their sound and you have a kind of tapestry of songs that do kind of have their own uniform identity as an album and a big part of that is the increased presence of strings on this record which are super super like great sounding and give these songs uh, a, a part of that sort of feeling of like scale that these songs have is is really present and is done by those strings but it's kind of like these are widescreen big scale songs but they're produced in this really kind of like murky and sort of hazy way so it's not like an album like bloom where it's kind of all very sort of clean and 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 uh just sparkly and, and exuberant it's like you have that sense of hugeness within the music but it it, it feels more intimate in the same at the same time which is kind of a paradox but and yeah, so the release pattern, I think, I agree, is what ended up, I was hesitant about it, but I ended up thinking that it was a really great way to release this record because each of those chapters kind of functions like its own little EP, I think, and can be consumed sort of individually and sort of regarded in its own right, I think. Um, like if you're not in the mood to listen to 80 Minutes of Beach House, which I can understand, uh, you can decide you can pick a chapter essentially and based on how you're feeling and just kind of vibe out to that and then kind of not feel the need to con to consume the whole thing at once i think that kind of ties into my one sort of major reservation about this record which is that that it is a lot to consume uh, it is a lot of beach house uh in, in one record and I, it's definitely not a monotonous record. There's a lot of variation here, but if you're when you're listening to it as a single 80 minute experience, there are points where it feels like uh, it starts to become sort of difficult to disentangle certain moments from other moments, which is more of a nitpick than a, like a, a, a strong decisive criticism because the quality of this of the songwriting in general is so strong. Um, but I think that I've enjoyed this record more when I've consumed these individual parts as their own sort of holistic thing than when I listen to the entire thing front to back. Uh, like in the last week or so, there have been a lot of times where I've just put on chapter four since that's so the newest one and I've just listened to that right. and sort of taken it in. But I, it's to the record's credit that I have a really difficult time like picking a favorite chapter. Uh, and that my, my feelings on that almost change 
uh, depending on my mood or depending on the day. Like there's so like each chapter is like so equally well-rounded and, you know, maybe has like one or two songs. I'm not as huge on maybe as much, but always has at least one or two real like, damn, this is a great Beach House song standouts. I think at the moment, my current favorite chapter is probably chapter two, which I've been listening to a lot recently. I, um, I especially think that the one, two of New Romance and Over and Over are just two of my favorite songs this band have ever recorded. Well, over and over, I think there was a period earlier this week where I was like, is this my, is this, is this my favorite Beach House song? Like it, it's one of their longest songs and it just has this like super hypnotic sort of repetitive gorgeous sort of picked but heavily reverbed guitar passage that it kind of seeps into in the second half that's so like hypnotic and pretty and gorgeous and I like that the song is allowed to kind of expand outward for that amount of time too I think it really accentuates that uh, it's currently my favorite on the record for sure um, but you equally have like moments like that and moments like superstar as well which is another big standout which stretches on for six minutes and has this gorgeous sort of guitar motif that it kind of eases into at the end in the second half of the song that's so beautiful you have songs like that and you have songs that really see beach house reminding you how hard they can really punch you in the throat as well like one of my favorite um beach house songs is uh, sparks off of depression cherry and a big part of that is because right. it's such a a ripping song that's so unlike anything else they've ever done and they have plenty of those moments on this album i think the first one is pink funeral which is just has this real sense of grandiosity um but it becomes more pronounced i think in certain songs in chapter two and chapter three well new romance is one but chapter three i think is the one is the part of the album that has the most kind of left turns with songs like only you know which I mean I, I remember so distinctly the first time I heard that and I was like whoa when that song like kind of just explodes uh, at its yeah. chorus and becomes this huge thing and the masquerade as well as like such a left turn too it's like it's almost like moody and dark but it's also like really hard hitting and, and, and intense uh, I'll echo the sentiment on sunset as well like my previous favorite uh, beach house song um, before this album came out was uh, Levitation, the opening track on Depression Cherry, which is just so like, it's such a it, it gobsmacking how much that song just captures me. And Sunset gives me a really similar vibe, except it's more sort of like uh, transitory. It's more just another part of the album that you're being kind of, you're exploring, but it has that, it just, it's so enrapturing, gorgeous and beautiful. And yeah, like, the way you can go from songs like Sunset to songs like Only You Know and just feel the ebb and flow of the album, of the individual chapters. It's so well constructed, I think. Even if I'm not entirely like 100% that it should have been like an 18-track, 80-minute album, like for an 18-track, 80-minute album, sequencing and the structure is immaculate. This thing is the best version of itself that it could be, I think. Pink Funeral, I think, is a really interesting track because when I was listening to, to chapter one, the night it dropped, and I'm just like totally lost in the hype and having that hype met, which is one of the best feelings in the world, um, I was getting broadcast vibes off of what they were doing. Um, broadcast is one of my favorite, I, I don't know if you could even call them a band. It was, um, I, I think it was two people near the end, just Trish Keenan and, and James, um, and James. 
Um, but yeah, I, I get that vibe off of their music, off of uh, the new Beach House. Yeah. Um, Pink Funeral is is like a grand strings laced broadcast track to me. Um, and then it leads beautifully into Through Me, which just ha which has that amazing chorus that ah, I just get, I get totally into that. That is as hype to me as like the, the hypest, uh, I don't know, like a Migos song that, that just drives me wild. <laughs> well, I mean, that song through me has like a, what sounds like a trap beat at the very end of it. Like just these yeah, little like sure. click, clicking hi-hats that come in and it's like, mm -hmm. And even Pink Funeral as well has this kind of like pulse to it that feels very like foreign for Beach House just in the mm -hmm. in the beat that it has. Like, I think I've seen Beach House get shtick thrown at them for like, you know, drum machine, go burr sort of thing. And it's kind of just like, mm -hmm. but I think that they, especially because they alternate between like drum machine sounds and like live drum sounds on a lot of their records. And, but I think what's underrated is the way that Alex Skelly uses drum machines on beach house records it's never just like let's put a, a drum machine over it like it always feels appropriate it always sometimes yeah. like on a record like thank you lucky stars it can give it a kind of like music box childhood feel as well whereas here it's used in a very different way but yeah the the drum patterns and the programming and all this sort of uh that rhythmic aspect is always very well considered i think and maybe a little bit overlooked in discussions of beach house but yeah, it's always like there's a little flavor in, in that percussion that gives the songs an extra little bit of special sauce that I think always, you know, makes a Beach House song worth its time. And I think really comes to the fore on that first half of the record, actually, now that I think about it. And that first chapter in particular, which is, you know, maybe the first chapter actually might be from front to back, those four songs might be the most sort of consistently fantastic even if it's the least maybe the least kind of surprising overall but i don't know mm -hmm. it's so it's so hard to kind of like disentangle them because they're so like again well put together where you're getting uh so much variation on all of them but maybe yeah, i'll feel that way about chapter four maybe i just haven't heard chapter four enough but god i think chapter one um even though i would probably rank the chapters like three four one and two I, I think chapter one is is the perfect way to start it it does feel like um a, the beginning of a new era and i think those four songs there is a consistency to them that um that really works it was so exciting when they dropped chapter one and, and hearing those four tracks that was just that was such an amazing night so yeah that totally works um yeah chapter two um um it's interesting that that's your favorite because that's that's been my least favorite but it's continued to grow on me and grow on me and grow on me new romance the way those courses break, break through is so awesome. It just blows my mind every time. And just like, and I'm just, I'm dancing. I, I'm dancing to all of these songs internally or externally. Yeah, that's actually a, another cool aspect of it as well is like, there's the sense of like fun that Beach House are having on this album a lot of the time that you really connect to as well it feels like especially when they are reaching into more sort of newer sounds for them on songs like masquerade and stuff like you feel like there's a like it's just really exciting to listen to and um i will say the chapter four is like really like initially when i heard it i was a little bit like i i was i think so saturated by the rest of the album that i couldn't really fully appreciate it but it has really grown on me throughout the week i think hurts to love is like a a, a just a maybe not an, 
S tier beach house song, but definitely like an A tier beach house song. It's like so, it feels so immediately classic. That guitar part is just so simple, but so beautiful. I love the textures on finale that open up um, chapter four. That's just like, again, simple, maybe even easy, too easy to take for granted. But when I think about songs on this record, like that'll just come back into my head, that little melody and the texture of it. And I, I, I'm really grateful for it. And then modern love stories. I mean, what a fucking way to end this record, man. Like it's so, it feels like the most expansive Beach House song in a long time in so many ways. Like, again, I talk about those strings that they use on this album and boy, oh boy, like, man, it's, it's, it feels definitely like the culmination to a certain extent. I remember when chapter two came out and I got obsessed with over and over and I'm like, how are they going to end this album without, with a song that's like, that's more like feels more of like a conclusion than this and i mean they fucking pulled it off yeah that's and that's that reminds me of another incredible thing about this album every chapter um at least to me ends in an incredibly satisfying way and with just a fantastic song through me and over and over illusion of forever and modern love stories i mean they all work as an excellent closer for any standard really good album but they are closers for individual parts of this massive beautiful sort of like disney-sized album to me this album gives me like a big grand sort of disney feel in a way that an album like illinois by sufyan does where there's like this like i said the grandness but then there's also um a kind of like you know with the orchestration kind of like ornateness to it while also being incredibly fun, incredibly colorful, lots of personality, all those things coming together just makes for a really lovely time. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, let's move on to our favorite tracks and ratings then. My overriding thoughts are that this is excellent. It's great. I love it. Three favorite tracks probably going to be Superstar, Runaway, and Masquerade. Uh, least favorite track is probably Many Nights, and I give the album an 8 out of 10. Cool. Um, my favorite tracks are Over and Over, Sunset, I want to say, and for my third pick, I will pick, yeah, Modern Love Stories. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with that. So those are my three. Uh, least favorite, if I had to pick one, it's, it's still a really strong song, but it does feel a little bit, um, it kind of sits between two such massive tracks and it doesn't quite stick out in the same way and that's another go around although what i will say on that track um i guess the one thing that i really forgotten to comment on is like the relationship between victoria and alex how kind of synergistic they are and how like sort of one singular organism that they are and how well they go together and this is a beautiful song i guess about the continuance of that relationship and how perfect they are for each other so even though it's my least favorite sonically i really appreciate that aspect of it um i'm going to give the album a seven and a half i think uh really it's very close to an eight very much enjoy it i think that yeah again as i said those individual chapters i think work better as individual listening experiences than the whole thing for me but it's still another great beach house record man like it's still like another fantastic set of songs from a band that if you love this band, you'll like this album. Uh, if you don't like this band, you will not like this album, will not change your mind. Um, it's basically all there is to it. 
For my favorite tracks, um, I'm going to have to also go with Modern Love Stories. That is just one of the best closers ever to me. And an album with three other excellent, technically, closers. Um, so that one, I'm going to say Only You Know. And man, I, <laughs> I'd like to go with Pink Funeral to like have like one from each one from a different chapter. But I think I'm going to have to go with Sunset. Sunset has moved me to tears m multiple times. It's um, just so serene. It's just, uh, it's like a, just a wave of like heavenly light hitting you in the face. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna go with those three. Um, a least favorite track, um, I, I'll say about like tracks like Another Go Around as well and The Bells and Many Nights. I have love for these tracks, but every time I listen to the album, um, not every time I listen to the album, but when I'm like, picking like maybe like 10 songs to listen, I often skip over them. But then when I do take the time to listen, I'm, I'm enchanted all over again. It's just because I think they, they're a little less urgent, a little less, um, you know, have that pop fun sense that they all have. Um, but for an album that is 84 minutes long and just captivates me the whole time and is just like a beautiful ride to me, I will have to give it a nine out of 10. Fantastic. Um, so that is an average of 8.2 uh, for Beach House's Once Twice Melody. All right. That, reached, that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, thank you for watching. We want to hear from you at home if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple, hit up the YouTube page and let us know what you think of the albums that we've discussed today. Big Thieves, Dragon, New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You, and Beach House's Once Twice Melody. We want to hear your thoughts. Uh, do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, we've been pretty enthusiastic across the board about these two albums, but maybe you have a different take. Don't be scared to share it if you do. We want to hear from you, so hit us up and let us know. Make sure you stick around for our next record club, which should be all things permitting on the Mountain Goats All Hail West Texas on Tuesday. That's going to be really exciting to reflect on the, for me and Jake to reflect on the uh, 20th anniversary of that fantastic record. And I want to take this final moment though to thank you, Micah, for joining us. It's been really great to have another new guest, especially one who's so passionate about the music that we're discussing this week. It's been awesome to have you. I don't I mean, honestly, we couldn't have done this without you this week. So um, thank you for showing up with reasonably short notice and um, being able to really kind of show off your love and, and extensive knowledge of these bands. It's been really awesome having you. Oh, it's an absolute blast to do this. Um, I, I haven't been on a podcast before and um, I just love talking about stuff that I'm passionate about. So this was just a really awesome time. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow make Micah on Twitter. Uh, we'll put his handle in the description below, but I believe it's spangled underscore Micah. To everyone listening at home, if you like the episode, it would mean a lot to us if you hit the like button on the YouTube page, or if you're listening on Spotify or Apple to give us a five-star rate and review. Those things really help us out if you enjoyed the podcast, of course. If you want to go the extra mile, you can hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel if you have not done that already. Um, if you want to support us, there is also the option of hitting the join button on our YouTube page as well. For just $1 a month, you can support us and get your name featured in the title crawl of every video on the YouTube channel, as well as getting priority comment response. And if you want to give us a recommendation, it goes to the top of the pile. So those options are available as well if you want to support us. Um, other than that, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. As always, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, IMAX. Think big.